from him who takes our doubts and pours himself into us so that we stand firm in the faith. Be all grace and mercy and peace. Amen. Our text for this morning is the gospel lesson from John 20, where Jesus says to Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him with these incredible words, my Lord and my God. This is our text. If I were to mention to you the names of various different disciples this morning and ask you to write down the first thing that came to your mind, I would imagine that most of us would write down different things. For instance, if I mentioned to you the name Judas, probably most of us would write down betray or betrayer or betrayal, but some other people might write different things. Or if I mentioned to you the name Peter, You might write down the word faith, but other people might write down something different. Or if I mention to you the names James and John, some of you might write down the phrase sons of thunder, and others of you might write down some different things altogether. But if I were to mention to you this morning the disciple Thomas, you would all know doubt, see what I did there? say the word doubt, right? We have so closely associated Thomas with this word that we've even come up with a phrase in our vocabulary that describes him, doubting Thomas. Well, I have that same name, and you can imagine the times I've heard that throughout the course of my life. But you might be interested to know that in the first three Gospels, we are told absolutely nothing at all about Thomas. There's nothing about him in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And so it isn't until we get to the Gospel of John that we learn about this distinct personality, this distinct disciple. And even in this Gospel, even in John's Gospel, there are only 155 words that talk about Thomas altogether. So there's not a lot about this disciple in the Bible, but there is certainly more than just one description. He isn't just doubting Thomas in the Bible. Earlier in the gospel, when Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem, when he sets his face there, all the disciples were scared to death because they knew in their hearts and minds that they were all going to be killed with Jesus when he got to Jerusalem and they along with him. But surprisingly, at that moment, it was Thomas who said, then let's go so that we may die with him. Does that sound like doubting Thomas? It was a courageous statement, and yet we don't remember him for that statement. We remember him for his doubts. And we also fail to point out that in this story that we're focusing on this morning, the story of Thomas's doubt, we have the one place in all the Gospels where the divinity of Christ is unequivocally, bluntly stated. It's interesting that the story that gives Thomas his infamous nickname is the same story that has Thomas making this earth-shattering confession. My Lord and my God. Not just teacher, or not just Lord with a small L, but Thomas confesses him as God. And it's the only place 
where Jesus is called God without qualification of any kind whatsoever. And it's uttered with such conviction as if Thomas were stating it as blunt fact, just like he might be saying, two plus two equals four, or the sun is in the sky. My Lord and my God, that's what you are to me, Jesus. Those aren't the words of a doubter, are they? Unfortunately, history has remembered Thomas for this scene where the resurrected Jesus comes and appears to his disciples in this home in Jerusalem, in this upper room, and Thomas is in prison, and when he heard about the event, he refuses to believe it. Maybe Thomas was just a cynic by nature. Or maybe the news just sounded too good to be true. You know how that is when you hear this good news and, and you just have to see for yourself that it really is actually true. And so Thomas says, unless I feel those nail prints in his hands and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. Now I can't help but notice in this story that Thomas at this moment, that Easter Eve, has separated himself from the disciples. And so in his solitude, he has missed the appearance of Jesus. And I'm wondering if maybe John is trying to teach something to us by telling us this fact. Maybe he's suggesting to us that Christ appears most often within the community of believers that we call the church. And when we separate ourselves from the church, we take a chance on missing his unique presence as he shows and reveals himself to us when we come together as a body of believers, when he reveals himself to us, feeds himself to us, gives himself to us together as one. But you know the story doesn't end there, because the second time, about a week later, Jesus makes his appearance, Thomas is there with the disciples this time, and now he too witnesses with his own eyes, with his own hands, the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. So this morning, I think we can learn three things from the life of Thomas. First, in this story, we learn that Jesus doesn't blame Thomas for doubting. If you think about it, in the church, we usually handle doubt thinking that it's unbelief, and we try to squash it, we try to quell it, we try to put it down. We don't like it when people ask questions. We want to hear about firm faith. But Jesus never condemns Thomas here. Now, it might be that Jesus understood that once Thomas worked through these questions and worked through these doubts, he would be one of the most certain men of faith in all of Christendom. I wonder if you've ever had anyone tell you that they don't have any doubts whatsoever, that they are absolutely sure and certain in their faith. When somebody tells me that, I find it difficult to believe because we all have doubts, don't we? At one time or another, we have those questions that run through our minds. Sometimes late at night, we wake up in the middle of the night and we wonder, is this all true? Is my faith sure and secure and certain? I'll never forget the time when our son Ben, he was in his early high school years, and Tammy and I were sitting in our upstairs room in our house in Milwaukee, and he came up with tears in his eyes, 
and began to tell us about the doubts, about the questions that he had about life after death and about his faith in general. And we stood or sat there and talked with him for probably an hour or more, talking through these questions, talking through these doubts, reminding him of faithful teachers he had throughout the course of years. And it took a while to get through it. And in the weeks and months after that, we continued to have conversations. But on the other side of that, Ben's faith was firmer and stronger than it ever had been before. And to this day, he stands firm in that strong faith. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It's okay to question. Faith is Jesus in and with and through and by his word overcoming our doubt day after day. And for many of us, that's what he has to do and and it's what he does because only Jesus can overcome our doubts and our doubting. We can never do that on our own. And so when we doubt, maybe we ought to do what 90-some-year-old Leona Wegner did every time I went to give her communion there at Luther Manor in Milwaukee. I would go and give her communion. We would go through the whole little service. We would have the benediction. And after the benediction, Leona would continue to sit there with her hands folded, her eyes closed, and her head bowed. And she would pray one more prayer after our communion. She would pray, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Even at 90-some years old, Leona was praying that the Lord would overcome her doubts and her fears, and the Lord did that for Leona because when she was 93 years old, she died firm in the faith. Our Lord Jesus overcomes our doubts. The second thing that we learn from Thomas is that some of the most important things in life cannot be proven in any kind of intellectual way. Some of the most important things of life take faith. Jesus said, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. For me, that's one of the best verses in all of the Bible. It's always been one of my favorite verses because in that verse, I feel like Jesus is talking to me. And I think he's talking to you too because we will never, unless there is some incredible kind of miracle, see the risen, crucified body of Jesus standing right here in our midst. We won't be able to put our fingers in the nail scars or our hands in his wound. We won't get the chance to touch his pierced side. And so Jesus understands that it's harder for me and for you to believe than it was for Thomas, and he counts us and calls us blessed. No matter how many proofs or so-called proofs there are for Jesus' life and death and resurrection, there will always be a little bit of wiggle room for doubt in our minds. Books and movies like Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ that we studied in our Bible study a couple of months ago certainly bring us a great deal of knowledge and information, but an intellectual could always poke some kind of seeming intellectual hole in the arguments that we make for Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Because you see, our faith does not rest on human arguments or human proofs. Our faith rests on Jesus alone. 
and his eternal, everlasting word of promise and truth. Jesus speaks, we listen, our faith is strengthened, and it's shown in our lives. It was none other than the disciple Peter who, in his first letter, quoted that ancient prophet Isaiah, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And then he adds this, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. The good news that we spent the entire Lent, those entire six weeks, trying to sum up in seven-word phrases is that the long-promised Messiah lived here on earth. He died, was crucified on the cross. He rested in the tomb, and he rose again from the dead for you. And that same Jesus is the Word made flesh and was seen by those disciples who then spread the Word about everything they had heard and seen about him. And those words created faith that was passed down to the next generation. And then the generation after that. And the generation after that all the way down to us. Now that can't be proven in in any kind of intellectual or earthly way. But God creates faith in us by his word that trusts and believes in that word and in him fully and completely. And finally, we learn from the life of Thomas to move beyond our doubt to faith. I want to remind you this morning that it's okay to doubt. It's okay to ask questions. Questions bring us to the point where we are able to move forward and grow stronger in our faith. But our God would have us move beyond our doubt to faith. In fact, listen to what Jesus said to Thomas. He said, stop doubting and believe. It's a natural, normal part of life, part of our faith life, to ask questions, to have our doubts. But Jesus says, don't stay there. Don't wallow in your doubts. Trust in me. Move forward. And that's what happens when we come to worship. Every weekend we receive Jesus' gifts. He pours himself into us so that we can go out into this world more confident in our faith. To face whatever the world or the devil or our own sinful self would throw at us. Now there are times in our lives certainly when we face grief or disappointment or depression or pain. And there are times like that when our faith in God tends to falter. But when those moments come, I want to remind you of a phrase that maybe you've heard before, that I've heard before, that will help get you through those dark moments. And this is that phrase. Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. I'll say it again. Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. So right now we are basking in this bright room thanks to this new light, basking in the light of Jesus, the spiritual light of Christ. He is crucified and risen from the dead as we witnessed last week and he is right here and right now amidst us and amongst us to feed us and to forgive us. The light in which we bask right at this very moment is going to get us through this week. And it's going to get us beyond that too. So in moments of light, 
God has told you that because of Jesus, he will never leave you or forsake you. Never doubt that. In moments of light, God has told you that because of Jesus, resurrection is reality. Don't believe the doubts that you have in the dark, but believe what Jesus tells you in the light. In moments of light, God has told you because of Jesus, you are forgiven and loved and given the gift of eternal life. Don't ever doubt that. Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. In Jesus' name, amen.